But we are going to be in the book of Jonah. We're going to be starting there today, and we'll be in the book of Jonah for the next seven weeks. Uh, So from now uh, until uh, the middle of August, we'll be really hearing the Lord as he speaks in the book of Jonah. Uh, It's him that we listen to as we do this. And and really, uh, the book of Jonah is a book about what is unexpected. It's a book about what is surprising, about what we really don't see coming, and then it happens in the story, and it's unexpected. And so as we read both today and, and in the coming weeks, as you read on your own at home, as you hear uh, us read, as we preach it week by week, listen and ask yourself, what is unexpected? What happened that I didn't see coming? Or, or maybe it's how something happened that you didn't see coming. As an example, uh, for those who are familiar with uh, the story of Jonah, right, the, the thing that everybody knows about the story of Jonah is that he gets swallowed by a fish and he's in a fish for three days. You might have heard this story so many times that that doesn't seem surprising to you. But that is surprising. It's surprising that a man gets swallowed by a fish and he's in there for three days. Uh, that has not happened to me and I hope it doesn't, I hope it doesn't happen to you. But we, we've got to ask ourselves at each part of this story, what is unexpected? So before we get into our text this morning, I just want to share a little bit of context and kind of how we can understand where the story fits and how the story fits together. So the story of Jonah takes place somewhere around the year 750. So give or take 750, maybe plus or minus 20 or 30 years. Uh, But we're in the 8th century and we know that because 2 Kings 14 tells us about Jonah, the son of Amittai, who was a prophet during the reign of Jeroboam II. And so we can kind of piece that together and figure out about when uh, this takes place. So this is 200, 250 years after uh, the kingdom split. And, and then when the kingdom split, there was the north, which is Israel. And that's where Jonah is. He's a prophet in Israel, the northern kingdom. But there was also Judah, the southern kingdom. And so at, at this time, under Jeroboam II's reign, Israel's actually doing pretty well. Um, the, their borders are, are expanding a bit. They're, they're prospering a bit. So, so things are going well in their life, um, not spiritually. Uh, that really, Jeroboam II and, and, and their kings do not walk with the Lord. They don't worship the Lord. They worship idols. So spiritually, things are not going well, but just kind of economically and whatnot, things are going pretty well for them. When in this story, God sends Jonah to Nineveh, and so Nineveh is one of the major cities of Assyria. Assyria, Assyria being a, the dominant world power at the time. And so Nineveh is one of their, their major cities. And then in Assyria, Nineveh are to the north and the east of where Jonah is at in Israel. So it's a little bit of where we're at. Uh, but secondly, when you, when you read a passage of Scripture, even when you read a, a single verse, uh, can be very helpful to think about how does this fit together? How does it flow? What is its structure? And when we see that, sometimes it's very clear what the point of the passage is when we see the structure. And, and I think that's the, the, what we have here in Jonah. And so I'm going to give you just a flyby of the book of Jonah. So at the very beginning, we'll, we'll see this today, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, chapter 1. In chapter 3, we see the same thing. God calls Jonah again to go to Nineveh. Well, the second scene, and we'll we'll touch on this this morning, Jonah goes aboard a ship, and he's there with a bunch of sailors who do not know the Lord, but they serve multiple gods. That's where he's at. 
Well, after he's called the second time, he goes to Nineveh and he's in Nineveh with a bunch of people who don't know the Lord, but they serve a bunch of other gods. So there's parallel here. The third scene is Jonah in the fish. And what, but what is he doing in the fish? He's praying. Jonah prays a prayer of thanksgiving and deliverance from the fish. Well, the parallel to that in, uh, at the beginning of chapter 4, after Jonah's in Nineveh, Jonah prays again, his second prayer. But this time it's an angry prayer. He's angry with the Lord at this point. And so we can see these different scenes and they, they parallel each other. It goes A, B, C, A, B, C. They, they parallel. And so one of the reasons I want to point that out is as we read these different parts of the, path of the book, compare them to each other. Contrast them to each other. What's different the second go around than the first go around? That, that will help us see a little bit of what God's saying here. But the second reason I want to point this out is that there's one passage in the book that I haven't touched on yet, and that's the final seven verses. Chapter four, verses five through 11 doesn't have a parallel. Everything else has a parallel, but, but the last scene doesn't have a parallel, and that's because it's the climax of the whole story. It's what the whole story leads us up to. And so we, we've got to attend to that final section with, with a, all of our attention and all of our humility to really hear what God's saying. So, so as, you, as you're here week by week, as you're listening online week by week, hear this and, and compare and contrast. And then as we get to that final scene, it, it brings it all together for us. Final thing before we read our text this morning is as we read Jonah, um, you can think of the book of Jonah as, as both a mirror and as a picture. Okay, the, the book of Jonah is a mirror in that Jonah mirrors our hearts for us. There will be things that you see in Jonah, in his actions, in his words, in his heart, that are actually a mirror for you to better see your own heart. And God can, can use Jonah as a, as a really profound and vivid mirror for you to get a better idea of what's going on in your heart individually, but also collectively as the church or for Israel when they were reading this originally as well. But secondly, it's a picture, and it's a picture of the Lord. Um, there, there are things that you may know to be true of the Lord, but the way that those things are pictured in the book of Jonah is vivid and stirring and gets in your heart in different ways than just a simple statement of that truth. So it's a picture of the Lord. It's a mirror of you. And, and, and think about those things this morning as well as uh, over the next several weeks. Um, and, and really, I invite you to ask questions like, what, who is the Lord in this passage? What is God like in this passage? What do we learn and see about him here? And you can even ask yourself, what rubs me the wrong way about the Lord in this passage? Because a lot about the Lord rubs Jonah the wrong way in this book. And so we might have some of that ourselves. So that hopefully that gives you a little introduction to the book. Um, but would you stand with me now and we'll hear God speak through Jonah 1, 1 to 6. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the, on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. This is the word of the Lord. Father, God, we thank you. God, you are kind to speak to us in this word. Father, by your spirit, you have written this through your prophets. And Father, by your spirit, we ask you to speak to our hearts this morning. That you would give us faith, that you would give us love of you, that you would give us soft hearts that we might hear you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I mentioned, this is a story about what is unexpected. And I just want you to take a moment and think from what we just read, you can look back at it, what just happened in this story that is unexpected? look, Look back at the text and think for yourself, what just happened in this story that surprises us as we read it? One of the things that, that surely surprises us is, is Jonah's disobedience, right? We, we, we don't expect that to happen. And so you might think of this kind of scene one of this story is the Lord calls, but Jonah. But also this, the second part, starting in verse four is surprising because we could think of the second part of what we just read as Jonah flees, but the Lord. And the Lord has the final answer for Jonah here. So, uh, again, those are maybe some of the things that stick out as surprising. There can be other things that we'll touch on here. But let's, let's jump in and see what happens here. Really, the, the story of Jonah starts out like so many of the prophets. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The, the word of the Lord came to him. This is a way of speaking of being called to be a prophet. So Jonah here is being called as a prophet, to go as a prophet. Now, when we think of prophecy, sometimes the first thing we think of is to know the future and predict what's going to happen and tell about what's going to happen. And that certainly happens in prophecy. But fundamentally, to be a prophet is to speak God's words. It's to, to speak God's words to another people. That is to be a prophet. And so The word of the Lord comes to Jonah so that he might take the word of the Lord to others. And God's command to Jonah in verse 2 is is just crystal clear. Like there there are really no questions of like, now what do you want me to do? What, what, What exactly are you saying? Like it is super clear what God is calling Jonah to do here. He tells him what to do. So if you look at verse 2, there are three commands. He says, arise, go, and then further down he says, call out. So when you think of arise and go really as, as one command, though it's two commands, is that get up and get going, right? Not here, but go somewhere else. Like that's part of what I want you to do, Jonah. I'm commanding you to get up and get going. But the third command there is call out against it. So again, Jonah, be a prophet. Preach, proclaim. Tell them the message that I have for you. 
That's what Jonah is to do, to, to go and preach. Well, secondly, God tells Jonah where to go. He says, go to Nineveh. Again, Nineveh, major city of Assyria, uh, important city of the Assyrian Empire. It, but notice how God describes it. He doesn't just say, go to Nineveh and call out against it. He says, go to Nineveh, that great city, that, that important city, that large city, that city that I have taken note of. That's where I'm sending you, Jonah. What, where, thirdly, God tells Jonah why. He doesn't have to tell him why, but he does. Jonah's going because Nineveh's evil has come up before the Lord. That's what he says. Call out against it for their evil has come up before me. So God's sending Jonah as a prophet to Nineveh because he sees their evil and it's coming up before his presence, before his face. Though Nineveh may be a long way from Jonah, it's not a long way from the Lord. He sees it. And Nineveh and Assyria, not Israel's best friends. Um, th these aren't a people that, that Jonah would just be like, oh, great. Like, I'm really looking forward to going to these people. Um, as, as God says here, th they're an evil people. There's wickedness in Nineveh. And, and we, we actually know this historically to be true. Um, I was leading a Bible study on this several months ago, and, and Ken, one of our elders, sent me um, a, a book a, a, where a historian was recounting um, how some of the um, kings of Assyria, some of their practices when they would conquer uh, different cities. And I'm not going to read the part of the city that tried to fight and, and how that wound up for them. It's not a pretty picture. But I just want to tell you what, what this historian told us. And, and this, uh, the king he's talking about is about 100 years, give or take, before our story. Um, but there was a city uh, that he's describing who, who saw this king of Assyria coming and, and they just threw up the surrender flag. You know, like, we're, we're not going to fight. We know what happens when we fight against you. We're going to surrender. And so they were granted leniency. What does leniency look like? Well, their city got burnt to the ground. They all got carried off into slavery. The legs of their officers were cut off. And their governor was publicly executed. So that's what leniency looked like to a king of Assyria, again, 80, 100 years before the story that we're reading right now. So when, when God says their evil has come up before me, th this might help us get a little bit of a picture of some of the things that we're talking about here. But even beyond that, Nineveh is not a people who, who know the Lord and are following him. They're, they're people who worship many other gods. And so they're evil. God sees it and God's doing something about it. He's sending his prophet. But verse three, just totally unexpected. Jonah, what are you doing? There's no other place in scripture where we have a prophet who just flat out disobeys the Lord quite like Jonah does here. Like this stands alone. And Jonah flees first from God's command. God says, arise, go. Verse three, Jonah rose to flee. So he, he gets up, he gets, that, he gets that part, but then he flees. He doesn't go to Nineveh, he flees. God also called him to call out against it. We don't, all we see Jonah doing is being silent. He's certainly not calling out against Nineveh. He's not even there. And so Jonah also flees from the place. He doesn't go to Nineveh. So again, Nineveh's to the east, but Jonah goes to Tarshish. Tarshish is to the west. And if you look at verse three, there's some repetition here that's helpful. He says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. 
he went down to Joppa, that's a city on the coast, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. And ho- oh, hey, if, if you're not paying attention, by the way, Jonah's on the ship going with them to Tarshish. There's one commentator who helpfully points out that this is kind of like God coming to someone in Chicago and says, hey, go to New York. And then the next verse would say, and this guy got up and he went to L.A. And he got on a plane going to L.A. And he was going to L.A. Like it's just the totally opposite direction. And he wants us to see that. He wants us to see Jonah's doing the exact opposite of what God called him to do. Now we can relate to Jonah at this point. Uh, if, if we were in Jonah's shoes, we probably wouldn't want to go preach to Assyria either. That, that's not like, you know, the, the vacation you want to take. Um, I was talking with Dustin earlier this week. And he said, maybe it's like saying, hey, go preach in North Korea. Uh, that, that would not be something that we're just really wanting to do. We might flee from that as Jonah has. But nonetheless, this is unexpected. His disobedience might, might be unbelievable. Like, why are you doing this, Jonah? What, what is going on in your heart that causes you to do this? Well, it'll take all four chapters for us to get a better view of Jonah's heart and his motivations. But for now, isn't Jonah a mirror for you? Another commentator says, we must recognize that the same impulse is found in all of our hearts. Flight from obedience to God, flight from service of our Lord. It makes me think of the hymn, Come Thou Fount, where one of the verses says, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O taken, seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Don't you know that that same wandering, fleeing impulse that we see in Jonah so clearly, it's still in our hearts too. Even as the hymn says, prone to leave the God I love. God, I love you, but there's still something in me that wants to wander. There's still something in me that wants to flee and not listen. And so we can see a little bit of Jonah's posture at the word of the Lord coming to him. And my question is, when, when you think of the word of the Lord, I'm talking about scripture here, when, when God's word speaks to you, when you are reading something and you hear him speak clearly, what is your posture towards God's word? Do you see it as this is the authoritative word of my sovereign Lord who's speaking to me and I must listen to it? Or is it less than that? Is it, oh, well, this is just kind of a good, helpful book, and I can kind of take it or leave it. I I get to filter through what I want. It's a spiritual book, but I don't have to listen to it as my authority. No, this is the word of the sovereign Lord, just as the word of the sovereign Lord came to Jonah. What is your posture towards it? You might even think, of specific commands of God. All right, we've been talking about forgiveness. God tells us, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That's a command that he gives to us. Do we listen to that and submit to it as a word from our sovereign Lord, or do we, eh, not today, God. Flee from sexual immorality. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only as a such, such as is good for building up. Honor and obey your parents. 
Are there commands that just rub you the wrong way sometimes and you just don't want to listen to them? Or do you see, this is God's sovereign word to me and I've got to listen. I've got to listen. Or we can think more specifically about Jonah's specific command here. His command is to go on a mission, right? It's to proclaim and to preach. And it wasn't that long ago that we were in 1 Peter together. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, God's describing... The, the people that he has made us, right? We're a royal priesthood, a kingdom for his own possession. But in chapter two, verse nine, he says, we're a people who proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to be a people who proclaim his excellencies. Jonah was to be a prophet who proclaimed his excellencies, but he didn't, not yet. We're to be the same. And so Jonah's a mirror for us in this. But at the same time, Jonah and, and you and I are a contrast. We're a contrast to the one who actually does just the opposite of Jonah. You see, Jonah is a prophet called by the Lord who's unwilling to go a few hundred miles. He's unwilling to go to a people whose evil had come up before the Lord. His disobedience actually prevented Nineveh's hearing. There's no word of the Lord being preached to them while Jonah is being disobedient. But what about Jesus? Isn't Jesus our prophet? Aren't, isn't your sin and my sin the evil that has come up before the Lord? Aren't we like Nineveh in that? But that Jesus, the Son of God, willingly, obediently, sacrificially, completely obeyed the call of his father to go. Jesus went a much further distance than just to Nineveh. He, he came from heaven to earth to put on human flesh. And part of that is so that he could preach the good news to us, so that he could proclaim to us. And then he sacrificed himself for us. In his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus says, I glorified you, Father, on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. So where Jonah doesn't want the work God is giving him to do, our Savior, Jesus, the Son of God, willingly, completely accomplished the work the Father gave him to do. As we look at Jonah here, he doesn't simply flee from God's command. He actually flees from God himself. And so again, the, the repetition of verse three is helpful for us. The beginning of verse three, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. At the end of verse three, to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He tells us twice here, ultimately why Jonah's doing what he's doing. Jonah's trying to get away from the Lord. His, his beef isn't simply with Nineveh and Assyria, though he probably has some there. His beef isn't simply with traveling and preaching, though maybe he doesn't want to do that. His beef is with the Lord who's called him. His beef is with God himself, and he's trying to get away from him. Perhaps you can think about arguments or tiffs that you've had with others where in those moments when, when, you're, when you're angry with them over whatever happened, you actually may want to get away from them, right? You want to get in a different room or a different space. You don't want to be around that person. Your problem's not just the problem. You actually have a problem with that person. And so Jonah here doesn't just have a problem with the command. He has a problem with the commander. And he wants to get away. He wants to run away from the Lord. 
maybe you can see that same impulse as well. That when God gives us a command or we read something in his word that just doesn't sit right on us, it's not just a problem that we have with the command itself. We have a problem with the commander who's telling us that. And this, this could be the end of the book of Jonah right here. Three verses, God calls them, Jonah flees, that's the end. Like, that could be it. But it's just the beginning. It would be the end of the story, but the Lord. Jonah flees, but God. And that's what we see in verse 4. So Jonah, trying to flee from the sovereign Lord, goes to Joppa, finds a ship, gets on the ship, and is on the sea. Maybe, I don't know, we, we have no idea what's going on in his mind. Maybe he thinks he's going to get away. But the Lord hurls a great wind at him. Lord, just, I'm going to throw a wind at you, Jonah, and I'm going to make a massive storm come on this ship. You think you can get away on the sea or on a ship? Nope. Let me throw this massive storm at you. It's so massive that at the end of verse 4, we're told the ship is threatening to break up. The, the, the ship's about had it. ship can't handle much more. And it's all because the Lord is pursuing his fleeing prophet. The Lord's coming after him. The Lord's not get, letting Jonah get off the hook. If you think back to what we read in Psalm 139, what if Jonah would have rested in the truth of Psalm 139? What if he would have remembered, he certainly would have known Psalm 139, but what if he would have rested in the truth of it? What if you and I would rest in the truth of it? David there says, you know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? Can, can I go to heaven? You're already there. Can I, can I go to Sheol, the, the place of the dead? What if, what if I go there? No, Lord's already there. What if I take the wings of the morning and I go to the uttermost parts of the sea? Sounds a lot like Jonah, right? David says, no, the Lord, you're already there. Well, what if I'm in utter darkness? What if I'm completely surrounded and squashed by darkness? And he says, no, the Lord is there because even the darkness is light to the Lord because he overcomes it. Wherever I go, the Lord is already there. And that's a reality that we should rest in. And it's a good thing. At this point in the story for Jonah, it may not feel very good. He's in a near-death experience on board a ship because the Lord is pursuing him and he can't get away from him. So sometimes when the Lord comes after his children, it feels like discipline because it is and it's not comfortable and it's not, it's not what we want it to be. But it's good because God doesn't let Jonah get away. He won't let Jonah get away because he wants to do something in Jonah's heart. And he won't let him get away. And so I don't, I don't know for you if there are things in your life that cause you to want to get away from the Lord at times. It could be the weight of your sin, the darkness, the shame, the guilt of your own sin as it weighs on you. Just, I don't want to go to the Lord right now. I want to get away. I don't know if it's the sin of others that gives you shame and makes you want to get away. Or I don't know, maybe it's just a repugnance against the sovereignty of God that he dare command you what to do. You just want to get away from that. Whatever causes you at times to want to flee from him, would you rest in Psalm 139? 
that you cannot go anywhere where he's not already there. And in fact, that that's a good thing because he's already there. And if you are his, he's bringing you back to himself. That is the work he is doing. So at this point in the story, again, near-death experience for Jonah, he's not responding. He is not responding to the Lord's pursuit of him. He's just fingers in his ears running away. But the people around him are starting to respond. They, they see what's going on and they're responding to this. Look at verse 5 at what the sailors do. First we see that the mariners, the sailors, are afraid. These guys that are used to being on a ship are afraid at this storm. And at the end of verse 6, we see that even as the captain speaks, he says that we may not perish. Like, they're actually scared that they could die. That's how big of a storm this is. That's how big of a deal it is that they're scared they could die. And so they do two things about it in verse 5. First, they cry out. They pray to their gods. Now, we see here that these sailors, they don't know and worship the God of the Bible. The, the Lord, Yahweh, whose word came to Jonah in verse 1, these sailors don't know him. This is not who they're calling out to yet. But they're calling out to their gods. They have multiple gods that they believe in, and they're just kind of throwing everything they can at them, hoping maybe this God or that God or this God, maybe they can help us right now. We're just going to pray to all of them and hope for the best. So they pray. But second, they hurl their cargo into the sea, just trying to lighten the ship. So they're praying, doing everything they can in that realm, trying to help themselves. But like, well, let's throw everything overboard too. Maybe that will help us. So they're really trying to cover all their bases. What can help us in this near-death experience? Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down and was fast asleep. Frantic above board, Jonah's just sleeping, blissfully ignorant below board. He's silent. The prophet, the one who knows the Lord, is silent while these polytheistic sailors pray. Now, if you look at verse 5, it says that Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. This is the third time we're told Jonah had gone down. In verse 3, he went down to Joppa, and then he went down to the ship. Now he's gone down into the inner or lower part of the ship. Three times, the prophet goes down. One commentator, I think, helpfully connects this for us by saying, to run away from the Lord is to go down, 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 ultimately towards death itself. And we'll see Jonah's fourth going down in chapter 2. But he's going down away from the Lord. Now just think of the contrast here between these sailors who don't know the Lord who have multiple gods that they believe in, who are false gods, versus Jonah, the one who knows the one true God. He's silently sleeping, ignoring, running, hiding. They're desperate, fearful, praying, hurling cargo overboard. Certainly they're responding much more rightly than Jonah is. Right? They, they should be responding with fear of death when the Lord hurls this storm at them. That is right. They're not praying to the Lord. They don't know him yet. Maybe if a prophet would speak to them, they might. But they're praying to their gods. They're praying out while the prophet sleeps. What has to be going on in Jonah's heart? Like, what would cause this prophet to be fleeing so stubbornly that even when the Lord hurls a, a near-death experience at him, 
He's still silent. He's still stubborn. He's still got his fingers in his ears. He's still not budging. But our text this morning closes with with even more irony as we meet an unexpected prophet in verse 6. Now, Jonah is kind of the epitome of the unexpected prophet, right? He disobeys rather than obeys. He is silent rather than speaking. So he's an unexpected prophet. But I'm, I'm actually thinking here of the captain. The captain is an unexpected prophet too. Again, above board, it's frantic. You can imagine the chaos. The captain marches below board to find Jonah. And you can just imagine uh, what, what his voice would sound like as, as he thinks that they may be dying. And he sees this, as everybody else is throwing stuff overboard and praying, he finds a man sleeping. Why are you sleeping? What are you doing sleeping in a time like this? We're, we're all going to die. We're praying to our gods. Would you just, would you pray to your God? Jonah, why, why don't you pray to your God? Our gods are not helping us, but maybe your God can. Maybe your God will give us a care so that we wouldn't die. Now, interestingly, even at that point, Jonah doesn't respond. You almost think, well, maybe at this point, Jonah's finally going to pray. But he still doesn't pray. He still doesn't respond. And who, who would have thought that it would take a, a polytheistic pagan sailor speaking to a prophet of the Lord to tell him, hey, why don't you pray to the Lord? Like, why don't you try praying to the one true God? That's what the captain says. That's what it takes for Jonah. And to add to the stinging irony, the commands that the captain give Jonah echo what God had already told Jonah. See, in verse 6, he says, what do you mean, you sleeper? But then he says, arise, call out to your God. Jonah's already heard those words. Arise, go, call out to Nineveh. Jonah's hearing the same words that God had told him before. And it's got to sting a little bit. So how, how does the book of Jonah start? Well, on one hand, we got Jonah called sovereignly by the Lord to be a prophet. Disobeys flees, hides, fingers in his ears, stubborn, being prophesied to rather than prophesying, speaking God's word to others. On the other hand, we have the Lord. He's sovereign. He, he just commands Jonah. He doesn't say, hey, what do you think about this? I'm thinking about an idea. What, what would you think? No, he just commands. He's He's everywhere. He's in Nineveh, where their evil is coming up before him. He's with Jonah. Jonah goes to the sea. Guess who's already there? The Lord. He's sovereign. He's everywhere. He sovereignly commands. He sovereignly pursues. He won't let Jonah get off the hook. He's coming after him. He's coming after him so much that he hurls a massive storm at him. He's coming at him so much that he speaks prophetically through a man who doesn't even know him to Jonah. God is going to incredibly great lengths to get Jonah's attention. To, to say, Jonah, wake up. Pay attention. I want to do a work in your heart. God's going to great lengths so that Nineveh would actually hear preaching. So that Nineveh, these evil people, would actually hear God's word coming to them. 
God goes to great lengths in your life and in my life too so that we would pay attention, so that he could do a work in your heart and in my heart. He wants to do a rescuing work. He wants to finish that rescuing work. And so he will pursue us as a shepherd chases after a lost sheep or as a father chases after a lost son. Proverbs 3 We hear this, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The Lord is pursuing Jonah here sovereignly, but he's also pursuing him as a father. The Lord has every right at this point that this storm actually just sinks the ship and that's the last we hear of Jonah. Like his, his rebellion is worthy of that. But the Lord has greater plans than that for Jonah. So he's chasing him, he's pursuing him, but he's gonna discipline him as a father. He's gonna change Jonah's heart and he's gonna do the same thing to your heart and my heart as we sit in this book. So people of God, when you, when you hear the Lord's commands. When you hear his word, do you see it as the authoritative command, the authoritative word of the sovereign Lord spoken to you? People of God, do you know that the Lord is pursuing you? And then if you are his, you can try all you want at times to get away from him, but you will fail that. And that is so good for you that you cannot outrun, you cannot outflee this God. Pray with me. Father, we give you praise for you are sovereign. You are our commander. You are the one who gives us your law. God, we also praise you that you come after us and you have come after us so persistently in the work of your son and as your spirit continues to abide with us. Father, help us to listen to you. Help us to hear you. Help us to have hearts that are soft towards you. We thank you that you are our Father. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.